Kelly. Yagi. What is a doofus? Um, <laughs> I don't know the actual definition, but it's my nice word of saying idiot, I think. Mm. So you did use them interchangeably. Yeah. God, I really hope that I know you're looking it up right now. I just know it. And I know you're going to tell me what the exact definition is. And I am crossing my fingers and just holding my breath, hoping that it is not some terrible, terrible thing that I just said. Well, according to vocabulary.com, if your brother angrily accuses you of stealing his favorite sunglasses, you can say, you mean the ones on your head, doofus? The word was originally 1960s U.S. student slang, and it's thought to be modeled after goofus, an older term with a similar meaning, or to stem from the Scots, doof or dolt. Oh, good. All right. I was really worried I was going to get in trouble there. So I'm glad that it has a has a better meeting. Oh, yeah, there I can see. You know what? I'm also looking it up. Nobody can see our computer screen. So this isn't as exciting for them when I say, oh, yeah, is that I can see the origin is from goofus. That's even I'm going to have to start saying goofus. That's even more fun. And there you have it. There you have it. Luckily, we are not referring to our guest today as a doofus or a goofus. She's actually incredibly smart and intelligent. I am the one who's a goofus or a doofus. She's a level upist. She is a level upist. Let's level up our marketing with Wendy Witt. Welcome to Lunch Hour Legal Marketing with your hosts, Key Sakalakis and Kelly Street, teaching you how to promote, market, and make fat stacks for your legal practice here on Legal Talk Network. And welcome to Lunch Hour Legal Marketing. Before we get started, we want to thank our sponsor, Nexa, formerly known as Answer One, is a leading virtual receptionist and answering service provider for law firms. Learn more by giving them a call at 800-267-9371 or online at www.nexa.com. Welcome to Lunch Hour Legal Marketing. Today, we are very excited to welcome our guest, Wendy Witt. Wendy is a law firm business strategist. She partners with owners of solo and small law firms to build the law firm that gives them the life they love. Wendy, welcome to Lunch Hour Legal Marketing. Thanks, Guy. Hi, Guy. Hi, Kelly. Hello. So today, we're going to talk leveling up your marketing. What does leveling up your marketing mean? Kelly, what do you think it means? <laughs> I'm going to let Wendy answer this one. Okay. <laughs> so leveling up your marketing, to me, I think it means really examining where you are and, and where you want to be, measuring what's working, and making sure that you've done the fundamental work so that the experts in marketing can help you. You need to help them to help you. Right. And help hold them accountable. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, absolutely. If you don't know what metrics you should be looking for as the lawyer of the law firm, then how are you going to hold your agency or your marketing people accountable to those goals? Yeah, yeah there, there definitely has to be 
if not an expertise, just a, a basic understanding right. of what's happening in the firm. So what kind of clients are you getting from each marketing resource? Are you enjoying working with those people? Do they fit your ideal client profile? What's your average case value from these? How much are you paying? And so forth. Some of those things that a lot of attorneys aren't recognizing as necessities in their firm. Totally. Yeah. I, you know, that's you can't even start to even have a conversation because you're speaking, you know, lawyers and marketers, they just speak different languages. That is so true. And and I think that while marketing can be delegated, the hard underlying foundation cannot, that the lawyer still needs to play that role. So the foundation being, you know, who do you love working with? What kind of firm are you trying to create? What kind of life are you trying to create? What does that ideal client exactly look like? And what kind of work do you need to be doing? Because you don't want marketing, like the more specific you are to your marketing professional, the better results that they can produce. Doesn't that make sense? Yes. It really resonates with me because, you know, we ask those questions all the time. And if the lawyers that know the answers to those things, they're going to do a lot better because you, your marketing person can't tell you, to use your phrase, uh, the life that you love, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. And so I would encourage listeners to obviously reach out to professionals, but don't be afraid to do the hard work of figuring out your brand, who you are, what kind of people you want to attract. Because believe it or not, I mean, when you're first opening your door, you think, oh, I'll just take anybody that walks in the door. But that's not true. That doesn't last long. So you want the people you love, you know, the cases that you love, and doing that hard work. And, and really a foundational thing right after that is taking advice from your client. And what I mean by that is using marketing, using their words, their guidance in their marketing. So asking your clients what you do, asking your clients who you like, how you help, what their life was like before they worked with you and then after. And getting that feedback, and when you get three to five clients to say a similar thing, then you know you have your marketing message. Does that make sense from your perspective, from the marketing professional side? Makes sense to me. Yeah, absolutely. You know, um, I like what you mentioned about taking any client that comes your way and that that either doesn't last very long or maybe it lasts for too long because I met a wonderful lawyer who is very experienced. I don't know exactly his age, so I'll just say experienced um, at the ABA tech show. And he was talking about how he wished he, one of the things he wished he had done is he wished he'd been pickier with the clients he had taken on. And that now coming towards um, where he, you know, he said, I have more clients than I know what to do with. And I've never done any marketing. But if I had, I would have been able to choose the clients that I wanted to work with. Wow. You know what, isn't that that sounds so simple, but it's really profound, because I think it's a, a common mistake. And shifting your perspective to I want anybody that walks in the door and has a credit card to I only want to work with these people. One, it enhances your quality of life. But it also allows you to get the systems and processes in place for one particular type of client, one area of practice, like really niching down. And then that turns you 
naturally transforms you into an expert in that. And then more people want you and you can charge higher fees. It's just a positive snowball. Yeah. So one of the things that you mention before you can even do marketing to put into place is I know you talk about personas and kind of crafting your ideal client profile. Um, this often kind of gets a bad rap or people frankly don't really do it very well. So what are some tips or suggestions that you have to actually get to that true persona so you can go and attract those kinds of clients? So I actually teach a course called How to Talk So Clients Will Listen and Hand You a Check. (laughs) And through that, we use a workbook to actually go through and identify just the very detailed things. Where does your client shop? Like, do you want a Walmart shopper or do you want a Nordstrom shopper? Do you want somebody that drives a Tesla or, you know, the Mazda GLC, like my first car? All those things that may not seem relevant, it's not just somebody that's, say, getting a divorce or needs to update their estate plan or wants to bring in a foreign national for a job in their corporation. All those things are are important beyond the work that you do. So it's beyond the kind of case that you want. So, you know, even um, race or political persuasion, these aren't things that you would necessarily put out in the world, but when you're talking to your ideal client, You could name your ideal client. So my ideal client, his name is Holly. She's happy. She rides her bike on the weekends. Her law firm brings in $500,000 and so forth. And you go through the whole persona. Then when you're doing your videos, when you're writing your web content, when you're speaking, you're speaking as if you're talking to Holly. And that's really effective. So that's, that's the first step. The second step is to take your Hollies, your ideal clients, and ask them. So this is really different than getting a testimonial. So a testimonial, you want them just to say all fabulous things and it's gonna go on Google or LinkedIn. This is actually finding out how they help you, what that transformation was like. This is for you to take their words because you might think, oh, I'm an estate planning attorney. Then I say that because that's what I did for 15 years. So I'm an estate planning attorney. Well, do people even know what that is? Do most people disqualify and think they don't even have a state? So instead of just saying I'm an estate planning attorney, you know, call yourself what people, what your ideal clients give feedback, how that you help them. That transformation. Talk about that transformation in your marketing. So people care about well, this is taking me down a bunny trail, but I think it's an important one. But stop me if you'd like. Um, Attorneys, when they write their bios and when they talk about what they do, they get very intellectual. And I graduated from this school with these honors. I'm a member of this bar and this organization, blah, blah, blah. And I would suggest that that's really bad marketing because nobody cares about those things or very few people care. What they care about is who you are as a human, how you help. Do you help other people like them? Are your clients happy? You know, who do you help? How do you help? And what are the results you get? And then mostly, why do you care? Yeah. 
And we can weave your education in a little bit, yeah. in, you know, mm-hmm. into the, cause you know, there are people who care about it. So it's like, I've always been a high achieving person, which is why I wanted to go into law to like help other people get, you know, maximize themselves or whatever it is. And so I went to this school because I thought that that was the best or, you know, that's a probably a mm-hmm. terrible example, but mm-hmm. something like that. Yeah. I tend to put, you know, I don't think there's a right or wrong way to do it as long as you're showing that you care, you have empathy. And because the whole the whole purpose of this is to get people to know, trust, and like you. They assume because you're an attorney that you're competent. Um, that, but you're that's right. a mistake. <laughs> <laughs> right? So, But for all those engineers out there and other lawyers, they're going to want to see where you went to school and all those things. So you can certainly list those. But yeah, like... Showing the real you, I think that's something that's hard for attorneys is to show the real them. But when you're really authentic like that, not you dancing on tables in your pajamas on the weekend, but w- w- why you do your job? Why why are you in this career? What joy do you get from it? People want to hear about that because then they connect with you as a person. I help people make sure their money goes to their kids instead of the government when they die. A lot of estate planning attorneys do that, do say that. Oh, that's not good then. No, I'm not saying it's not good, but it's, uh, that doesn't get a lot of people that would really appeal in my, cause I did practice estate planning that would appeal definitely to a lot of men. If you talk about family, protecting your kids, that appeals to a lot of moms. So it's, it's kind of a win-win. Nice. You know, one of the things that this is kind of talking about going down uh, bunny trails, because of your experience in working with so many law firms, mm-hmm. how do you start to have the, the conversation about like business metrics with law firms? Like, do you say like, okay, so part of the life that I love is I've got to make some money. And so, you know, here's where I am today on revenue and profitability and expenses. And here's where I'm trying to go. And you know, from your expert vantage point, do you talk to them about like forming a marketing budget and how much that should be and what the guideposts are? And I I know it's different for all law firms and practice areas and, you know, varies, but, you know, we get that question all the time from lawyers will say, you know, I'll say, well, what's your, you know, have you thought about a marketing budget? I've never thought about a marketing budget. Mm -hmm. Well, what should my marketing budget be? How do you have those conversations? Yeah, those are definitely part of the conversations. We have KPIs, metrics that we track monthly, for the marketing, we tend to track those quarterly, but definitely people ask me how much money they should be spending. And it's interesting. I mean, a general guideline, you know, I would say 10%, but that's what I say too, by the way. Okay. All right, cool. So, but like if you're, it, it depends where you spend that is, is interesting compared to what's going on in like where your firm is. So when right. you're first starting out, you know, I don't encourage people to spend a lot of money. Uh, you know, they're just hanging out their any. shingle. Right. They don't have any. And this is where I feel people try to just get rid of their marketing. And they need to do this work first. They need to be networking. They need to be through all the free social media. They need to be speaking wherever they can speak and really get clear on their message. And then when that builds up and there are some funds available for marketing, which it needs to be a priority no matter how many clients are coming in the door, even if you're really busy, 
you need to keep that marketing going. That's when you invest in other forms of marketing and delegate that. Got it. So this is where the leveling up comes into play of you start off with just putting the, like you mentioned, putting your persona and your ideal client in place and figuring out, you know, okay, now we have clients coming in. In the 10%, just to clarify, is that all 10% of revenue is what I your marketing is? I use 10% of revenue. Okay. And so then you've got, you actually have clients coming in, you have a budget. What are some kind of the next steps that law firms should be doing at least in 2020? <laughs> so th- I, I, there has to be a strong social media presence. It always surprises me when lawyers aren't really active on LinkedIn. Um, there's a lot of free social media space. And so part of that original foundational research that you're doing with your clients is finding out where they hang out. So are your clients hanging out on Instagram? Are they hanging out on Twitter? Are they hanging out on Facebook, LinkedIn, wherever they are, TikTok now, all these things. Um, You need to know where your ideal client hangs out. And then that's where you spend your focus. And as far as leveling up, like there's, yeah, you need to get your, your SEO in place and you need to be speaking and doing podcasts and, and all those kind of things. But then even you get to a certain level you know, what else are you doing? Are you doing your TED talk? Are you writing your book? Are you holding a conference? Are you the leader, the thought leader in your field? So there's always room for growth and having that foundational element, then getting delegating and having a marketing firm take care of business for you so that you can focus then on more of putting yourself out there. Okay, great. I'm glad that you are going in this direction because where where my head was at over here is a question that I get all the time. And since you work with solo and small firms and have much more intensive conversations with them about this than I do, uh, just since I'm not I'm not as much of a client facing role for for Guy and I, um, but I do get asked all the time you know, how much time is this supposed to be taking? You know, I'm a, I'm a solo or I'm one of two lawyers in my firm. How much time should I really be dedicating to this stuff? Because I also need to be handling cases. You know, it's interesting because I tell people when they're first starting out that 90% of their time needs to be marketing. If you're not doing the legal work or setting up a system, like you really need to block it out. You got nothing else to do. Well, you know what? Like, and you're not going to keep going. Like there's, I've had, I've actually turned away some clients who didn't believe in marketing in whatever form, just didn't do it. I don't want to spend my money on that because I want to keep my fees low. And I'm like, and, and I couldn't work with that person because I'm like, your firm is not going to be there in three years when your clients need you. Like that's just doing your clients such a service. If you're not a responsible business person, you're not going to be able to continue to keep your employees, to serve your clients, provide for your family. Like you have to be smart in business in addition to being a dynamite lawyer. Right. I love the, I love lawyers that are say, I don't believe in marketing. Yeah, that, like, that's just, yeah. <laughs> well, I, I, you know, I'm always like, at the very least, I'm like, do you ever tell anybody what you do? Because guess what? You just right. did marketing. <laughs> yeah. Marketing sneak attack. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's just funny. It's, you know, I, I love this is like such good real talk here because um, 
you know, so many lawyers, before you even get to any of this other stuff that we talk, this marketing stuff, whether it's social media or SEO or TED Talks, whatever it is, there's like this fundamental misconception. And I got to say, over the last, you know, 10 years, I think it's getting better. But this idea that these, you know, law firms aren't businesses and, you know, there's some kind of special thing that lives outside of a business. I think you articulated really eloquently, like you can be the best lawyer in the world, but if you're running at a loss, you're not going to be a lawyer for very long. Absolutely. Like, and, and what I think people have to realize or lawyers have to realize that there's, you have to be a successful business person to be able to serve more people. If you want to make a dent in the universe and help more people, you do it by being successful at what you do. And if you want to do pro bono, if you want to serve the underserved, that's fine as long as that's your choice, that you're not doing it because of poor business practices. Right. And you still better be able to have some access to money if you want to be 100% pro bono, right? Because you yeah, still got to eat. And that's an important point and a point that I went through because when I graduated from law school, my favorite professor said, Wendy, call me if you give all your money away. Because I was told in my 20s, oh my goodness, I don't even know how I got through my 20s because I was just this wanted to save the world. And it took a long time for me to realize it takes money to save the world. Yep. Yeah. All right. That is a great note to go into hearing from our sponsors. So we're going to take a quick break to hear from our sponsor and then we'll pick things back up after that. If you're missing calls, appointments, and potential clients, it's time to work with Nexa Professional. More than just an answering service, Nexa's virtual receptionists are available 24-7 to schedule appointments, qualify leads, respond to emails, integrate with your firm software, and much more. Nexa ensures your clients have the experience they deserve. Give them a call at 800-267-9371 or visit them at nexa.com forward slash podcast for a special offer. And we are back. All right. Where we left things off is you need to have money to be able to save the world. And I love that because one of the things that I and Guy can attest to this, I am a nutcase for a company mission, vision, and values. <laughs> yeah. And, and so I see this as just definitely like another thing that um, that is so important to have in place and really ties into that you know, you have to have money to save the world. You also have to know how you're going to save the world to make money. 100%. So what are some kinds of, uh, you know, how do you, how do you advise on creating that? Because I think one of the things that, um, and again, Geek can attest to this, that I challenge all the time with values is values can either be aspirational or values can be what you actually are doing at the time. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it sure does. And when you're living within your values, you are going to feel happier and then be more successful because you're going to attract people to you, have more energy and so forth. And you're going to attract the people that you want. And one thing I love about really knowing your values, in addition to that, is that you're going to have opportunities come to you. And if you are solid on your values, then you know whether to say yes or no. 
Does this fit within my values? You evaluate every opportunity. And is this going to be closer to my goal? And if it's not, then you need to say, no, thank you. So that you can say yes to what really matters. Yeah, I like that. I uh, was another question I got asked at tech show or that came across me was that somebody said, raised their hand and said in a session I was leading was, uh, our blog still important? Should I be doing anything with my blog? And I said, yes. And I think this is also where, you know, people always say like, nobody actually cares about my mission, vision and values. Uh, There are a lot of people like me out in the world who are crazy for these things and will with every single company that I'm going to engage with, I go to their about page and I'm like, what does this company say that they're about? Because I want to know as a consumer who cares about these things for myself, that the companies I'm working with are in line with my personal values. Or that they've even thought about them. (laughs) You want to know that they care, right? And why they're doing it. I mean, there's, and I'm not going to remember it exactly, but that's one of the reasons they say Apple was so, um, is so successful because they're very clear on that. And, And companies that reach success are very clear on their values. And it makes life less confusing, more streamlined. Yes, 100% on board with that. All right, back to more... I guess, breast tax sorts of things. I want to talk about tracking ROI and making Mm -hmm. sure that people are getting a return on their investment. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that's really important in all areas of the law firm, whether it be employees or rental space, office space, or marketing. So, you know, let's talk about this a little bit. I think a lot of attorneys aren't tracking this. And they're not knowing if their dollars are invested wisely. Does that make sense? Oh, yes. <laughs> Absolutely. Right. So some things I would suggest that attorneys consider tracking are, you know, so you set up a SEO campaign or incorporate SEO or you do a workshop. Those two examples. So how from those, how many people are you getting from those marketing tools. You know, how many are setting appointments? How many are showing up from those appointments? How many are you closing? You know, what is the value of that case? You know, what's your average case value from it? How much are you making and and what's your profit from it? And so really understanding your return on investment from each of those tools that you're using so that you can see what makes the most sense. And, you know, and another part of that is testing which areas of practice, what, what services do you provide that provide the best ROI? Because then you know what services to market. Right. In that vein, what, uh, do you have any recommendations for tools or short lists? I imagine there's a, you know, the way we kind of look at it is, is like finding the right tools can be, you know, just as big of a challenge as trying to define, KPIs, but do you have a short list of tools you'd like to recommend in in the context of tracking, certainly in tracking ROI? Yeah. So um, we're currently using Google Sheets Mm -hmm. or Excel, but some software that comes along with law office management also has some tracking in it. You just have to go through the work of setting it up so that it matches what you want, customizing it. Right. Yeah, I mean, Google Sheets works great, very flexible. Excel's very flexible. Guy, do you have any uh, 
technology that you would recommend? Um, you know, I, the, for me, this is kind of in the world of like CRM. And so, mm-hmm. um, you know, I like active campaign. I mean, if you've got, if you're depending on your, how your MarTech software budget looks, you know, HubSpot's great. Infusionsoft can be fine. I think the Infusionsoft changed its name though. I can't remember what it's called now. But, you know, even something as simple, like even CallRail has basic lead qualification. You can enter like the fee. So, you know, it's kind of the gamut. You know, obviously I'm a, I'm a product advisor on Lawmatics. I think they're doing some interesting things, obviously biased. Um, but you, it's really more about the features. It's like connecting the, you know, as Wendy mentioned, customizing it so that you can actually say, okay, it's somewhere you have, if you're going to do ROI, somewhere you have to enter the fee that you're getting mm-hmm. because that's... Mm-hmm. You know, that's going to be your return. Then the question is, how are you measuring that against the investment? And, you know, if it's Google ads, then you need something, in my view, you got to get pretty granular. So you need some kind of sophisticated tracking. But I think the part that people miss, so we, the other thing that we talk about a lot is cost per acquisition and cost per client, things right, like that. Right. So you can we can do that much easier. But if you're going to do true return on investment or return on ad spend, you have to have a system that's tracking your fee to back to a lead source. Otherwise you're always, you're gonna be spinning your wheels. And so I'm always curious to hear about creative ways that lawyers are doing that. So, you know, for listeners, if you've got ways that you're doing that, you want to talk about I'm all ears to those, because I think that's a big, you know, we've had clients where I'll say, okay, you know, we'd love to do a return on investment analysis for you. And they'll be like, great. Let me fax over a piece of paper with some of the clients we've recently had. And I'm like, whoa, that's going to be really challenging to tie that down to, you know, specific keyword bids and stuff. (laughs) Yeah. And what I want to emphasize is because this is going to sound really intimidating and lawyers are going to say, I don't have time for this, but it doesn't mean they have to be doing it. It's just, they have to have someone doing this. Right. Exactly. They don't have to be doing this themselves. They have to review the numbers once a month to see how things are working. Yep. No, I, the attribution thing's a huge. I mean, we talk about that all the time. I was, you know, I was just telling people the other day, like if you're spending money, especially on av- advertising, the easiest one to beat down. Uh, stop advertising if you're not tracking it to fees. Right. Right. Um, right. The other stuff, you know, and not, not to go down the uh, the Gary V thing, but you know, he always talks about like ROI. What's the ROI of your mom? And it's like, well, okay, you know, if you're spending time networking and you don't have like a sophisticated tracking or attribution thing. Fine. I just, at the end of the day, like you said, Wendy, I think it's important, if, especially if you're doing like uh, events, at the very least, if you're collecting business cards and you're putting them into some kind of contact database, at the very least, you can say, okay, you know, I've built some, I'm starting to create some of these relationships. And, and, you know, if those people become referral sources or clients themselves, now you have some basic attribution. I think that you can do that easily in a Google Sheet or Excel. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But turn off the ads if you're not tracking it to fees. Yeah, well, that's that's exactly it. If you're not measuring the fees that you're getting, um, or the, and even there's a you know subjective point of that is, are you liking the clients that you're getting? Because some attorneys will tell me, well, I'm doing this, and you know those clients tend to be a pain in the butt. Right. Somehow, how they're they're not attracting the right people, so then it needs to be adjusted. But knowing what comes through, where things come, and which service is providing the value to your you in your life, assuming that you're trying to go for the highest profit possible, then you need to know which services are doing that and what 
the marketing, which marketing is bringing in the clients for that highest revenue service. Yep. Yeah. So one of the things um, we had a conversation internally about the other day was how long these things, you know, how long ROI can take to be realized. And so, you know, one of the pieces I know gets frustrating for law firms is, well, you know what, from the time I get a potential client lead in, it can take one to two years, sometimes in personal injury cases, it can take longer than that to see what the actual end result of that case is. So how are lawyers supposed to keep the faith during that time that these things are paying off and that they should keep doing their marketing? Well, there's a philosophical approach that if you take the right actions that the universe provides, there is a method to it. There is you know, is marketing is an art and a science. And I think looking at the science part that there are numbers that show you returns. And yeah, personal injury, you're not going to get any money from a case for 18 months to two years, three, maybe even three years. So it does take a long time. I think you need to also look at it as building relationships. How long does it take to build a relationship? You know, and sometimes you meet people and there's an instant clicking, and then sometimes it takes a year, two years to build a relationship. People don't want to hear that, but it really, marketing is, it, it's a long game. It's gardening. Right? Yeah, it's gardening, right, great. Yeah, it's gardening. Um, yeah, the other thing, just to kind of respond to uh, Kelly's point, you know, for the personal injury lawyers out there who maybe didn't like the answers that we gave, the other things that the folks can do is, there's other things you could, there's indirect metrics of success. So yes, ROI, great. Return on ad spend, awesome. Uh, but in the meantime, you know, what, how much is it costing to open a file, right? So mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. cost per client, cost per lead. Usually if you're in, if you're getting, if you're opening files that like Wendy said, are the types of clients that you want to take on, that's a good leading indicator that you're going to, you're moving in the right direction, right? So uh, you want to really be thinking about this throughout the entire process. Uh, don't just get hamstrung by, oh, I can't measure any of this stuff because it takes me three years to measure return on ad spend. It's like, okay, well, guess what you can measure? You can measure the number of qualified leads that a campaign is generating now. Yeah, I love that. Right. What I think lawyers also need to hear is that you will get, you don't have to be perfect to start this journey and to focus on your marketing and invest in your marketing that it will, your marketing will get refined, refined, refined. I mean, even the experts A, B test things and then make adjustments. It's a constant refining as life unfolds and you learn more and the world evolves. So some of the other things I'm I'm thinking about is when we're, you know, you mentioned social media is kind of a marketing tactic that law firms can use. Are there other things that you're hearing about that law firms are doing that you're like, wow, that everyone else needs to be doing this? Yeah, a very simple thing. And, and Guy and I talked about this on Twitter a while ago is simply just living your life and getting out there, doing the, the activities that you enjoy. And then you naturally meet people through those activities. And when you're doing something you enjoy, you're putting out that 
that energy, you are yourself, you're relaxed, you're talking to people, and then people know you. I mean, we have a personal injury firm here in Western Pennsylvania that just knocks the socks out of everyone else. First, they've always known that marketing was just as important as practicing law in the business. And I had a conversation with a managing partner and he said it was simply like growing up, he was part of his kids' baseball teams and soccer teams and those kind of things. I mean, it sounds so simple, but just you doing what you love is an easy way to make that happen. Social media is a given. Uh, there's free space there. There's investable space. Putting yourself out there, writing articles, commenting, building, it's all build, you know, it's building relationships. Back to Guy's point of it's gardening. You know, you're, you're building something, you're growing something. And so two of the, you know, I think about this with social media all the time, but, um, but when I, you know, thinking about doing the things you do naturally and the things you love to do, and then just putting it out there. Two of the things that I get, um, the comments that I get back to me are number one, you know, the kind of the nobody wants to friend their lawyer on Facebook sort of thing where it's like, um, or, or the opposite side of that, where it's like, well, I'm a professional. I want to be seen as a professional. So I don't want them to know that I'm coaching my kids soccer team or that, you know, whatever it might be, maybe not wanting to put that stuff out there for your clients to see. And then the other side of it is, I feel like an absolute doofus when I put that photo out there or when I turn my camera on to say like, all right, I'm live at my kids soccer game and we're the sponsor, you know, that sort of thing. So both on the side of wanting to portray yourself in in a certain light as a professional and in the I feel like an idiot doing this how do you help coach people through through either of those mentalities yeah I totally get that so one is letting go of being perfect second is really looking and seeing why people hire lawyers and people make referrals and hire people because they like them. They're not going to like you. One thing I think that attorneys don't realize is how scary they are to, like, we get so used to our used to ourselves that like another attorney just isn't intimidating. It's just it's who we are. They're our friends. But when you're a layperson and you're not used to interacting with attorneys, it's very intimidating to call a law office or to meet with an attorney. And if you're meeting with an attorney, it's probably not. I mean, there are adoptions out there, right? But other than that, there's, or business opportunities, but other than that, there's probably a negative reason why you're meeting with the attorney. So there's a lot of emotion. They're judging whether they like you when they're deciding whether to hire you or not. So the more you can put out there, and baby steps, right? So you know, writing something or just posting a picture is a way. I know uh, what I've seen is that attorneys get much more response from their personal Facebook page than their business Facebook page. So you can post on your professional page, and I encourage you to do that. It's free space, but it's personally where you're going to develop those relationships. And they have to remember that it's not just clients, it's referral sources. So 
putting themselves out there to other attorneys or people in positions to refer them to, that's going to bring more clients in as well. Yeah, right. that's a good point. And I was thinking about, sorry, Hickey, I was no thinking about how you brought up LinkedIn earlier as it's an underutilized space. And as I might have my beefs with LinkedIn's ad platform, but other than that, I think it, I think it can be a great space, especially for referrals. And so I, you know, I, I was just thinking that one of the things, if Facebook feels weird or Instagram feels weird, starting at LinkedIn, so you can start off, you know, in your, in your suit and it's expected is probably a great place to start. True. True. Like start baby steps and just get more comfortable and more comfortable. And you know what, Every the bottom line is everybody has to do what's right for them. But I think that I would invite lawyers not to be scared of showing who they are in real life or in social media. Totally. I mean, that's the thing that gets me. And I'm a total fanboy of the uh, Clio Legal Trends Report. But one of the things that they talked about is about how you know, almost half of clients are shopping around. And so even if you spend money and time on getting to know people and advertising and being online. Uh, like you said, Wendy, if they don't like you, mm-hmm. if they don't find you some way, what you're doing resonates, they end up hiring somebody else. So even if you get, you know, even if you get that coveted number one spot in Google, you spend all this time building links and, and then they get to your page and there's not something on there that makes them like you. They're just going to go shop around anyway. And so it's like, you can't have it both ways. You can't be you know, positioned as someone that people want to hire and not share a little bit about who you are. Exactly. People need to know who you are and why you care. So even if it's a sad story or an inspiring story of why you do what you do, share it. If you're too remote, you know, in that suit with your arms crossed and a frown on your face, which attorneys think means that they're a good litigator or something. Oy. Um, <laughs> right? So y- if you're not opening your arms to people in your photos and in your office and, you know, how you dress, then you're going to have a wall between you and your client. And you really don't w- make it any harder for them to reach out to you. You know, it's so funny too. I'm thinking about the litigators because it's like, that is such a great paradigm image of the litigator in a suit mm-hmm. with their arms crossed. But then you then you actually watch you go to court and you watch good litigators, they never just stand there with their arms no. crossed and pout at their faces. No, they can relate to people. Right. Right. That's They're how the story get to a, the jury. It's totally, exactly. You know, they don't make that connection though, right? It's like in court, I'm just like, just do what you do in court. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Love it. Yeah. I On the um, note of lawyers who are kind of just doing what they do naturally and talking about things they're passionate about, Gee and I... Um, both, and I don't know if you're familiar with him, Wendy, uh, Morris Lilienthal. I do not know him, but please tell me more. Got it. Where Where is he located again, Guy? Alabama. Of course, Alabama, the trash pandas. Um, <laughs> they're minor league baseball team. Anyway, huh? um, <laughs> he is, because he talked about the trash pandas on, on one of his podcast episodes. He does this so incredibly well where he just, you know, he has causes that are important to him and his family and he just shares them and mm-hmm. he's getting 
high returns on that and getting so many positive comments and referrals and people who are just like, yes, because you are sharing that this is something you're passionate about. You could be a boring old lawyer in your suit, but instead you have a smile on your face or you're just, you know, kind of your heart on your sleeve and you're putting it out there. He's relatable. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. I think the other thing too, in the, in the context of this conversation, I think it's important to mention is you know, how you use these different platforms matters. So, you know, I know because I've had these conversations, lawyers will say, well, I tried Facebook and it didn't work. And it's like, well, what are you doing? Right. So Wendy, as you mentioned, if you just got a Facebook business page and you're just like sharing like firm news updates that no one cares about, um, guess what? It's not going to work. Yeah. We're closed when on a snow day or president's day. Yeah. Right. Right. (laughs) Versus, you know, talking about, if you're passionate about something, whatever it is, trash pandas or biking, if you're in those groups where people are having, like they're congregating around those common groups, you know, it makes me think of the, uh, you know, Facebook's been doing a lot of TV ads. They have the one with the kazoo group. I don't know if you've seen yes, that one. Yeah. Yes. Where he's marching uh-huh. around with kazoos. So if you're, in the, if you're into kazoos and you're in the kazoo group on Facebook and you're talking kazoos, and guess what? Someone at some point has some issue that is they're dealing with in their life that, hey, they could they should talk to a lawyer. Guess what? You're the kazoo Absolutely. lawyer for them. Yes. Um, yes. So that's that's the thing I think that one of those dots that I think a lot of people, they hear us talk on these podcasts and it doesn't quite resonate. So hopefully that connects that dot a little bit better for folks. I love it. That's perfect. Yes, this is so great. Oh, I would have so many more follow-up things that I would love to say and questions I would love to ask, but we are out of time, unfortunately. Bummer. So, <laughs> so hey, thanks for having me, Guy and Kelly. I really appreciate it. It was a nice conversation. Wonderful, wonderful to have you. Tell folks how they can get a hold of you if they want to learn more. Yes, please reach out to me. Um, you can learn more at milliondollarattorney.com. And you can reach out to me at wendy at milliondollarattorney.com. Fabulous. Thanks again so much, Wendy. As always, Lunch Hour Legal Marketing listeners, I hope you enjoyed your lunch in this episode. And give us a rating or review on Apple Podcasts. Thanks so much and have a great day. Thank you for listening to Lunch Hour Legal Marketing. If you'd like more information about what you heard today, please visit LegalTalkNetwork.com. Subscribe via Apple Podcasts and RSS. Follow Legal Talk Network on Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn, and Instagram. And or download the free app from Legal Talk Network in Google Play and iTunes. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by Legal Talk Network, its officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, or subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer. How was that? Oh my gosh, that was so cute. Very goofy, but what are you going to do? It's us. If you're a lawyer running a solo or small firm and you're looking for other lawyers to talk through issues you're currently facing in your practice, join the Unbillable Hours Community Roundtable, a free virtual event on the third Thursday of every month. 
lawyers from all over the country come together and meet with me, lawyer and law firm management consultant Christopher T. Anderson, to discuss best practices on topics such as marketing, client acquisition, hiring and firing, and time management. The conversation is free to join, but requires a simple reservation. The link to RSVP can be found on the unbillable hour page at LegalTalkNetwork.com. We'll see you there.